0: You're listening to the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast, powered by the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce and regional leaders like Enterprise Bank, helping people and businesses create success. Why should your business be a member of the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce? It's actually quite simple. The chamber is dedicated to protecting and promoting the local business community. Our primary goals to advance the region, help business owners network and grow, and to advocate on behalf of the business community. Joining the chamber makes good business sense. We invite you to join the nationally recognized North Central Massachusetts Chamber today. Call 978-353-7600 or visit northcentralmass.com. Hello and welcome to the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast, Travis Condon, and Kat Deal from the North Central Massachusetts Chamber. We are continuing our On the Road series. Today, we're over at NEEDS at 305 Redemption Rock Trail South as Route 140 in Princeton. And Kat, who are we sitting with today?
1: Today, we are very lucky to be with the CEO of NEEDS, Jerry DeRoche. Thank you so much for being with us, Jerry. And thank you for letting us come out to NEEDS today.
2: It's our pleasure. We love having visitors on campus. We like showing off our campus. And letting people uh, hear and know more about Needs.
1: Well, we're excited to tell everybody in the audience that's listening what every great thing, all the great things that Needs does. So let's get into it.
2: And
0: Jerry, I want to start with a little bit about, actually before we talk about the dogs and the services here, your personal background, because you're leading an organization dealing with service dogs, but you actually came from the corporate world dealing with with banking. So how did you go from banking to puppies and service dogs?
2: I was a banker in Boston for most of my, uh, my career, uh, and I decided uh, that I wanted to uh, retire, and I wanted to do something that had uh, social value uh, within the community. And in the process of retiring, I wound up consulting uh, for a couple of years to other not-for-profits, and I was able to use some of my experience on being on a number of not-for-profit boards Uh, to help them and and, uh, give me the chance to uh, really participate in some really great organizations. A friend of mine called me up and knew that I did have an interest in running a not-for-profit. And he uh, called me up and said, I think I've got the perfect one for you. And I said, we'll see. Uh, And it turns out that uh, the organization he was talking about um, started uh, a number of years ago uh, training uh, hearing dogs. Uh, My father uh, was profoundly hard of hearing to the point of really being deaf. So as a family, we had experience with uh, living in a a situation where one of your parents really couldn't hear what you were saying. So that resonated with me. And then uh, he also told me that uh, the program provided dogs uh, to uh, these individuals. And I said, well, that's kind of interesting. I've had a dog my entire life. And so speak to me because I'm, I'm really getting fascinated by what you have to say. And he said, the last thing was something I know that was really, really important to you if you were to run a not-for-profit, and that's the engagement with the clients. So it needs, our clients come to campus for up to two weeks of training. So I get to see and meet and talk to the clients and really experience, in many cases, what the dog does immediately for the client, but also what the dog will do for the client uh, over the longer term. So we asked if I would be okay if he submitted my resume to the search committee because they were looking for a new CEO. And I told them, go for it. And one thing led to another. And I joined Needs in December of 2010. And you really couldn't say no. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> How could you no, say no? No was not something <laughs> yeah. that was really going to be in my vocabulary. That's amazing, <laughs> though, to like find an
0: organization to lead and mm. check that many boxes for you.
2: I can honestly say I think it was uh, once in a lifetime. It, it, You're right. It just checked all the boxes. It it really was something that resonated with me. And I've been involved with a lot of not-for-profits, either on boards or consulting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is the only one that really had all the things that were really mattered to me, but really, really had the, uh, the customer interaction because, uh, as I said, uh, that was really something that, Uh, I wanted to do because in my corporate life, I didn't really talk to clients too much. I talked to the other members of my team and the the organization, but I wanted to uh, interact with uh, clients. And I saw with some of my consulting and board work just how um, motivating and and moving that could be. And I can tell you firsthand that it needs, when I think about our clients uh, and I know what the dogs do... To uh, help them out, it's something that is very special and hard to replicate elsewhere. And if I have a difficult day, uh, a bad day on the ride home, I just think of clients and suddenly everything is great. So it's, it's really a special place.
1: It's great. You have such a positive impact on so many people's lives and Needs is providing such a great service. Can you give a little history? When did Needs open?
2: Needs started in 1976. And it started literally as an experiment with a professor at a junior college out in Lenox, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And he came up with this idea that service dogs are only for people that are blind, but dogs could do so much more. And he got together with his students and said, well, maybe we could do something with people that are hard of hearing. And they uh, procured some dogs from a rescue and they trained them to uh, respond to certain stimulus for people that are are, uh, are deaf, uh, like um, you know, telephones or doorbells or people calling out someone's name. And at the end of the semester, the students went on their way, and the professor said, you know, this is too good just to let go right now. And he ultimately wound up leaving the, uh, the junior college and started uh, what was called the Hearing Dog Program uh, back then and evolved into NEEDS. And that was the very beginning of the, the organization, We are really one of the pioneers in the industry. There was nothing else other than guide dogs in 1976. And there's another organization out on the West Coast that was starting to do things about the same time as we were. But we were clearly the the first on the East Coast. And we also have the most programs probably of any program uh, in the country. That's amazing.
0: So yeah. it started off as hearing,
2: and now you've yeah. incorporated
0: so many other different services. Can you touch on some of the different types of service dogs sure. uh, and, and needs that they, that they help with for your sure. clients?
2: The, uh, the second program, which when you think about it is a natural, was, well, maybe dogs could help people that are physically disabled. We started that uh, in the 1980s, and that's when we began to move away from using rescues as our primary dog because you needed a bigger dog for someone that was physically disabled that might be in a wheelchair. And we used a lot of different uh, breeds. We began to settle on Labs and Golden Retrievers as uh, the, the best dogs for our program, and that became the second major program that we had. And then somebody here began to think that our standards are so high, and that's one of the things we pride ourselves in, that we were not putting all the dogs through the program. And we still have very high standards and only 50% of the dogs make it through the program. But the, the number of dogs not making through the program was a little bit higher then. And someone decided, well, maybe there's another per- yet another purpose for some of the dogs that aren't going to be good for service dogs. Like a lot of dogs aren't comfortable being on the side of a wheelchair or aren't comfortable on the side of a walker. Um, so rather than release them, what else could we use them for? And they came up with our social dog program, and that was the program for children on the autism spectrum. And so it evolved in yet another way to do that. And after that, we began to uh, also think about veterans. So we had veterans that came through our program, but we weren't distinguishing them as something separate from the general population. And uh, historically, we've always asked our clients to help us fundraise. And we decided, well, that's really not something we want to do with uh, veterans because they've already given to their country, to their community. And so we want to reward them with a service dog and not ask them to pay for it. So that became one of the principal differences in that program is that veterans weren't asked to fundraise for us. And we then, in uh, 2009, we were the very first program in the country to create a program for veterans with PTSD and uh, we created the pilot program then and then we made an official program of needs in 2012 and we have the most extensive PTSD program pre-COVID in the country where the veterans come back over the period of a year interact with our staff do check-ins and also interact with other members of the, the cohort of veterans that are part of the PTSD program It's our only program that's not a national program, so we place dogs across the country with the exception of the PTSD program. And the reason for that is that asking a veteran to come back uh, multiple times over the course of a year if you're in California is a problem. So if you're within a three-hour drive of need, you can qualify for the veteran's PTSD program. Interspersed in all of that, we still have uh, dogs that don't make it through the program mm-hmm. for one reason or another. And we began to think of other ways that uh, we could incorporate dogs into our program. So we created an assistance dog program. And the easiest way to think of the two different general type of programs that we have, service dogs are one-on-one, one dog, one client, with all the, the uh, access rights of ADA. Assistance dogs in our program one dog for many clients. So there's one client, in effect, that owns and is responsible for the dog, but the dog helps many. So that could be in a school setting. It could be a, a psychiatrist's practice. It could be a ministry dog in church. Recently, we've been placing dogs in uh, fire departments or police stations. We also have placed dogs in courthouse settings, which is interesting because, in effect, the dog... Uh, gets paired up frequently in a, in a DA's office or something like that where there's a, a victim of something traumatic, very difficult for them to talk about the incident, bring in the dog, and it becomes much more comfortable for them to open up because they have the comfort of the dog there. In some cases, the dogs are also go up on the witness stand with uh, the victim. Uh, so the DA's office might be our client in that particular case. So we found other ways to utilize uh, the dogs that benefit society in and, and that way. We have a dog named Bentley that is down on the uh, South Shore that is part of uh, the police department. He's, he's, his owner is the uh, school resource officer at the school in that town. So lots of different ways that we utilize the dogs.
0: And it's really amazing that you, as much as you pair the, the people with the programs and the dogs that they need, you're, as, as these puppies are coming up, you're really finding what is going to be the best course of action and what program is going to fit the
2: dog as well. Right. So one of the things that we're really proud of that we do is we develop very, very in-depth profiles of our clients. We also, at the same time, are developing an in-depth profile of the dog. So when the dog is fully trained, we, have a, we know by then what the dog will be best suited for in terms of a program, but then we go through this extensive process of matching the dog to the uh, client, and it literally is a match uh, that we, we go through, and it's not just handing a dog to a client and calling it a day, but we find out things uh, about the clients in the interview process, which can take up to three hours, and we find out, things. what's your lifestyle? Are you active or are you uh, a couch potato? Because our dogs, in some cases, are one or the other. So we'll try and match an active dog with an active client. We also spend time, if you're in a wheelchair, um, we need to find out uh, how the dog is going to relate to you. We've had clients, for example, women in wheelchairs that want a, a female dog. Now, normally we don't care. What, however, If you're in a wheelchair and you have limited range of motion, which is normally going to be the case, a female dog is shorter normally, Mm -hmm. so it's going to be more uh, difficult to match a dog to you, and it'll just take longer. Uh, Once we get a, a, a taller dog that fits your match, we'll do the match, but my point is that we really want the perfect match for you, and not just give you a dog and call it a day.
1: It's full service. And it's incredible listening to you tell the story of how the services you provide evolve and part of it being the needs of the community or the needs of the people have evolved. Mm-hmm. But the idea that, well, there's no dog that can't be useful or can't be put to service or can't provide something for someone. So listening to you talk about, you know, now you have social dogs and you, you have, you know, in the eighties, I mean, no one was providing services like that in the eighties for children on the autism scale. So the idea that you guys are so forefront and reactive to the environment and the folks Mm -hmm. around you is wonderful. So to hear that you're taking such time to make that pair and I would assume it's because it's a lifelong pairing. Mm-hmm. This is something that you know this person is going to have this dog for the the life of the dog.
2: Sure, we had a veteran uh, on campus uh, yesterday, and one of the things that he said to me is, "This dog saved my life." Oh. Yeah. And yeah. when you hear that, then it you know, really resonates that the dog has made a huge difference. Our theme for our annual report this year is the starfish, the starfish parable, where uh, someone walks up to a, a young young boy that's throwing starfish back into the sea and the individual says, well, why are you doing that? It's not going to make any difference. And the young boy says, uh, well, it's going to make a difference to that one that I threw back into the sea. And that's how we look at our programs that we're doing this one-on-one and we're making a huge difference in uh, one client at a time in their life.
0: You mentioned one client at a time, but since the inception of your your organization back in the '70s, do you know how many different dogs you've paired out with individuals, just to give
2: sure. people an idea of how vast? We're a couple dozen under two thousand. Wow!
1: Wow! It's
2: yeah. a lot of folks you've been able to help. Yeah, yeah, and uh, a lot of our clients come back for uh, second dogs, particularly in the uh, the hearing dogs, because the uh, the clients tend to get them a little bit younger, and they they just have more needs over. Uh, for that. And our our dogs um, are purpose-bred for uh, life as a service dog. And they they want to do that. They want to help uh, our clients.
0: We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back here on the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast.
2: The business world is more competitive than ever, and running a business has never been more challenging. The North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce is here to help. With trusted resources, a strong business network, and a support system to keep your business and North Central Massachusetts moving forward.
0: We invite you to join the nationally recognized North Central Massachusetts Chamber today. Call 978-353-7600 or visit northcentralmass.com. Continue our conversation with Jerry DeRoche, the CEO over at Needs. that's N-E-A-D-S, at 305 Redemption at Rock Trail South Route 140 in Princeton here on the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast.
1: You mentioned um, that the dogs are bred. I know that you just recently opened a breeding center. Can you share a little bit about how that works and how you make the determination as to what dogs you will breed and how you how you share that as well?
2: Sure. Our breeding center, it's a uh, roughly 8,000 square foot breeding center that we just opened up in uh, July of this Past year. It took quite a, a long time for us to actually physically build the breeding center between COVID and supply chain issues, but we got it done and we opened it up. And as I speak, we have roughly 40 puppies on the ground up in the uh, breeding center. So we made a decision uh, a number of years ago that uh, we wanted to kind of control the access to uh, puppies for our program and not be dependent on. Uh, other organizations to, uh, to do that. And we have a, a long partnership with a lot of organizations, but still it was all, always dependent on them. And we also began to think more seriously about the importance of purpose-bred dogs. So for years we got dogs from different breeders that were great breeders, but they weren't breeding the dog for our purposes. It was either a show dog, a hunting dog, something other than what, um, what we needed And we concluded that if we're going to be successful, if we're going to grow the program and serve more clients, we have to create our own product, our our own dogs here. So that led to a decision that we would uh, start our own breeding program. And we're part of a co-op, which serves a similar purpose, gives us more diversity in our, our sourcing of dogs right now as a young program. But in short order, we decided that maybe we should think broader, rather than having a small program, that we should probably try and have our other sources be complementary, as opposed to being the primary source, with us being complementary to the program. And we just did a 180 and said, all right, this is what we're going to do. And, oh, by the way, we need a building to do this. (laughs) And uh, so we started a capital campaign, and it built uh, this great uh, facility just off the street from us. It's not on our main campus. And um, we've uh, really, I, I would say, uh, and in credit the staff, we've gone from basically nowhere to being a well-recognized breeding operation throughout the country and throughout our, our peer organizations.
1: And throughout uh, the world. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh,
2: we uh, have sent some puppies uh, over to Europe, and uh, we've done you know, a variety of different things that have... Really helped us grow the grow the program, uh, and um, as I said, the co-op that we belong to. Not every puppy that is whelped uh, bred here uh, will remain with us. We share them throughout the co-op, but we also get puppies coming back to us from the co-op as well.
1: In fact, a puppy is on their way out to Ohio. Is yes. that correct? I yeah, we have a
2: puppy going to a sister organization out in Ohio uh, today. So when puppies come in from one of those sister organizations or when they're of you know the
0: appropriate age after they've been bred and you determine what program they're gonna go into, what does the process for training look like? And one of the things that I think is neat and I think listeners will appreciate is you've got the end clients that they're helping, but you also help with some other folks that are important with the training along
2: the way in the prison sure. system. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so think of it this way, that uh, a, a puppy is uh, at the age where it can go into training Serious training, we do socialization literally right after the puppy's born, but training itself starts at roughly 10 weeks uh, of age. And historically, and I have to qualify with pre-COVID, almost all of our dogs were uh, trained uh, in the prison program. The one thing that we do, though, is that we don't make a distinction or don't even know what program the puppy will be good for uh, at that age. So what we do is we train the the dogs in the prison uh, program as though they're going to be a service dog. So they get the full uh, 60 or so tasks and commands worth of training. And at roughly a year of age, they know the tasks and commands. However, they're real adolescents. (laughs) So that says we can't depend on them to actually do it when they're supposed (laughs) to do it, how they're supposed to do it. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, So, historically, we would leave the dog uh, in prison for roughly to 15 months or 18 months. Usually, more likely, it's going to be 18 months than 15. And the inmate just uh, practices uh, with the dog for that period of time. Then we bring the dog out and match the dog. The inmates, we've been in the prison program since 1998. Uh, So we train the inmates, our professional trainers train the inmates to train the dogs.
0: And what's it like for those inmates to be able to be involved in a program like this?
2: I think it's remarkable for them. And uh, you hear the inmates say in different ways, but basically say the same thing, uh, that uh, this gave me a reason for getting up in the morning. It gave me self-worth and self-value. And then they'll frequently say um, that, they essentially for their entire life just took from society and they had no responsibility. But this is my way. I can give back to society. And so they're, they're able in, in their own mind to really think that they're doing something useful and valuable and there's value. One of the really cool things that we do when our clients are here, we bring the clients down to the prison uh, with the dog uh, to meet the inmate that trained their dog. And that can be really, really emotional for everybody out there. And uh, it's one of the things that I think separates us, too, from other organizations that we take the time and energy to do that. And our clients are able to get, a, will say, a slightly different perspective maybe on an inmate. I mean, they, they can think that, well, obviously the inmate did something that really wasn't good. That's why they're there. They did something really good for me, so there is a good, good side. There is something yeah. that this inmate did, and I'm lucky I benefited by it. So it's a great, great meeting, and as I said, it can be very emotional. That's that's such everybody.
1: an amazing program that pairs such great uh, organizations together to be able to give mm-hmm. the prisoners and the dog a way to pair and train. And for everybody to feel good about it at the end. And I know that a lot of our listeners probably would love to know how they could possibly get involved. And I know you have some events coming up that we would love to talk about. One being Pulling for Paws. Yes. I mean, how great of a name is that?
2: Yeah. So one of our uh, fundraising events is Pulling for Paws. And that will be held on April 23rd at Polar Park in Worcester. So there's... Lots of different ways you can get involved. But the key way to get involved is to put together a team and pull a truck. And in this case, we're going to have a, uh, a semi-trailer from Polar uh, Beverages that will be the truck that uh, will be pulled. Um, so I, I encourage, I, I hope yeah. uh, your listeners can uh, put together teams. Uh, there's a $500 entrance fee. Uh, we'd like you to raise more. Uh, Than then that, because it all goes to uh, the needs program. Uh, put together a team of 15 people and you pull the, uh, the truck uh, 20 feet. And it's early mm-hmm. enough that we can start training now for this. We can this. start yeah. training, Travis. Can start yeah. Training yeah. We can yeah. get everybody at the chamber
1: to start training.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just a fun thing yeah. uh, to do. And we have some really competitive teams. Yeah. I bet. Uh, that do that. And by the way, in, in your area, uh, we have the Mayor's Cup. And so the Mayor's Cup is part of pulling for pause. And the Mayor's Cup is the um, fastest teams from Fitchburg and Lemonster compete. And whoever wins, wins the Mayor's Cup. And last time we did this pre-COVID, the Fitchburg team uh, won. So the Mayor's Cup is part of Fitchburg. And Lemonster, we know the fire and police department want to get it into the uh, town hall in uh, uh, Lemonster. I think so. that
1: uh, you're drumming up some real good competition right now. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I hope so too.
2: That's great. And other
0: volunteers, I know, often open up their homes uh, for dogs. Can you talk a little bit about that por- portion of the training?
2: Sure. We have a variety of different programs uh, for volunteers to help us out. We have the what I call the traditional program, and that's with um, – individuals that help on weekends. So the dogs come out of prison, and we're in the Gardener prison, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dogs come out of prison and spend the weekend with uh, weekend puppy raisers. And the weekend puppy raisers uh, do some reinforcement of training, some socialization. And that's like one of the key things, is that the dogs don't get the socialization in prison that we want them to have. Mm-hmm. So a key role for the uh, weekend puppy raisers is that socialization. We have other programs that uh, where we have full-time raisers, and they have the dogs for roughly a year, and after the year, they go back into prison and get their specific training. The full-time raiser program is something relatively new uh, for us, and we have some info sessions that are coming up. They're virtual info sessions. You can find out more about them uh, on our website, uh, but there's one scheduled for February 7th, March 14th, uh, April 11th, and there's a couple more after that. From the info session, if you're interested in doing it, then we do an orientation, and then ultimately you'll get your uh, uh, your puppy uh, for uh, uh, up to a full year. Variety of other programs. Uh, we have some volunteer opportunities uh, in the nursery that uh, people uh, take advantage of, uh, so Um, If anybody has an interest in volunteering, there's specific information on the website. There's also a volunteer app that you can fill out on the website as well. So the more volunteers that we have, the more full-time raises, which is really what we need right now, the more full-time raisers uh, that we have, the more we can grow the program. And it's an exciting opportunity for you to be able to grow the program uh, with us.
1: I love that idea that, that you can bring into your own home a dog that will then go out and help someone else. So I, I'm sure the vetting process for someone to take a dog in is a long process, um, and all the information you said is on the website. Yeah. You said they, they the, the dog will stay with them for about a year? Yeah. And during that time, how often will they bring the dog back here?
2: Uh, we have a variety of different training programs, so it, it varies from either uh, there's some... Some weekly activity, but it, there also is monthly activity as well.
0: Now, once the dog ends up being matched, like we talked about earlier, um, with the client, does the client undergo a bunch of training, or what's that part of the, I guess, the process like before sure. they get sent on their way with their with their with their dog
2: match? Okay, once the match is made, um, we tell the the client ahead of time uh, when you've been notified that there's a match. You're going to be coming to campus in roughly a month uh, for your training. We also tell them make sure you get this all squared away with everybody beforehand. So it's not like um, uh, you're getting a a transplant and you got to drop everything you're doing, but it is important that your employer or your family or whoever is plugged in and knows that you're going to be doing this at some point in time. Mm -hmm. So, roughly a month, they come to campus and they'll be on campus depending on what program. Uh, dog they're getting for up to two weeks. So the service dog program is the most extensive training uh, that they need. Uh, Maybe the best way to think about it is the dogs are good to go. It's the clients we have to get uh, (laughs) ready. So uh, what we do is get the clients used to having a service dog, what it means, and practicing the uh, executing the task and commands. We have a lot of clients that have never uh, had a dog, much less a service dog. Yeah. Uh, so in some cases, we have to train them anyway. Here's what it's like to have a dog. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you're also getting a service dog at the same time. So that's always interesting for the uh, trainers to do that. So
0: as much as you're training the dogs, you're also
2: training the clients. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what and, makes a good pair. <laughs> yes, and when our clients leave, like I said, we place nationally. Once our clients leave, for say California, <laughs> it's not that easy to come back for yeah. remedial training. Sure. So, we make sure you are good to go and that you pass uh, the ADI public access test. So we, we want to put someone out in the public that really understands and knows what they have to do and is a good representative of needs. All of our dogs wear capes. Uh, so if you see a, a dog with a blue cape, that's one of our dogs in training. It says in training on the side, but a, a blue cape is a needs dog in training. A red cape is a placed dog uh, oh. with, uh, with a client.
1: I've nice. definitely seen the blue capes. Oh, yeah, I've definitely yeah. seen them, and they, it's fitting they wear capes. They're superheroes.
0: <laughs> they are, and it's uh, it's funny. I was talking to our coworker Terry about yeah. about the dog that she's helping uh, to to kind of keep in her home right now, and she said as soon as the puppy puts the 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 vest on or, or the cape, it's working, he knows he's working. Yeah. She's like, it's amazing the transition you see. As soon as that cape goes on, yeah. it's like a, a shift. It yeah. just knows it's work time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, absolutely. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah
1: it's amazing work that you guys are doing here and i know that you are you know a big organization in our community and are providing worldwide dog world-class dogs to the to the greater area and we're just so grateful that you're right in our own backyard
0: yeah we love it here jerry we want to thank you so much for chatting today it's my pleasure jerry thank you so much jerry Deroche from needs over at 305 redemption rock trail south Route 140 here in Princeton. Thank you so much for listening to the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast. And Jerry, one more time, if listeners want to find out how they can volunteer or about the Pulling for Pause event coming up in April, where do they go?
2: They should go to the NEEDS website at needs.org. Uh, also remember, needs is N-E-A-D-S.org. And Perfect. there's information uh, there for you. Worst case, just call our our general number and we will uh, explain exactly what you need to do we have an info number uh for us and as i say we also for volunteers we have a, an online uh volunteer application process
0: and what is that number for listeners Nine
2: seven eight four two two nine zero six four.
0: you passed the test yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well
1: i'm excited because now we're going to get to go see a couple dogs
0: jerry thank you so much
2: thank My you pleasure. so
1: much
0: You've been listening to Inside North Central Massachusetts. This podcast is produced by the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce. For more information on this episode, links to other episodes, or if you have any questions, please visit northcentralmass.com.